0: I'd like for you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, and the chapter is chapter two. I went into the uh, uh, Fellowship Hall and and listened to Josh McDowell's uh, film on how to help your teenagers say no to sexual pressure, and uh, received a lot, in fact I was really touched by that first movie presentation you need to see that I don't I don't care who you are you need to be in there on Sunday night if you got kids or not and it's amazing how this fits in with what was said back there so follow with me as I read through verse 11 I said to myself come now I will test you with pleasure so enjoy yourself and behold it too is futility I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the years of their lives. I enlarged my works, I built houses for myself, I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home barn slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces, I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. And all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor." Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity, and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. There are six words that describe our society. The philosophy of our culture can be found in these six words. Oh, we do not use them as such. We have learned how to say them more sophisticatedly. Uh, we don't dangle these words out before everybody's eyes, and we don't placard them on billboards. But we've heard them where we work in the normal conversations, and they have been uh, interposed and, and, and have been intertwined in the plays we see in our theaters. And they're part of the songs that are sung all the way from Acid Rock to Country and western. And they are in the slick magazines we buy. The words are spoken so often that we're almost immune to them. These six words that describe our society is, are these. If it feels good, do it. Somebody said that he saw a little placard in one of these boutiques Uh, Just another way of saying those six words, a more sophisticated way. But it's kind of a spin-off, really, of that philosophy. He who dies with the most toys wins. This text is about the pursuit of possessions and pleasures and the futility of it. This text says, if it feels good, do it. The one who dies with the most toys wins. It appears in our advertisings. It's found in our slogans. The ad men know about them. They're not new. They're as old as the Epicurean philosophy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And since we're all going to die, and since we're going to be dumped into the earth like dogs anyway, we might as well go for all the gusto we can get. sensual world. The word means from the sense or the senses. And it refers to that which we can touch with our hands, see with our eyes, taste with our tongues, and and hear with our ears, the senses, which in themselves are not evil, but have the ability to become evil. The things we touch and we see. And if we push this philosophy far enough, It becomes heresy and perversion. For there is a place where the slogan, if it feels good, do it, breaks down. And that's what this text is about. That's what this book is about. For the man in this book found the place, reached the point, found the juncture in life where the statement, if it feels good, do it, breaks down. It was written by the man who held the highest office in the land, He was the richest man who ever lived. He had tremendous wisdom. God gave him the wisdom. There was no limit to his bucks, no limit to his brains. He was the king. And one day he decided after four years, four decades rather, of peace and prosperity, he decided that he'd worked hard enough and now it was time for him to satisfy the senses. It is the journal and the, and, the, and the travelogue of a man in pursuit of happiness looking for fulfillment and happiness under the sun trying to find happiness without God for he had an itch way down deep inside of him that he desperately wanted to scratch. I want you to notice verse 1 with me. For he's talking to himself. He's talking to himself. He's rationalizing, we call it. Now, he's not going to seek the counsel of somebody else, somebody of wisdom. He's not going to seek their counsel. He's not going to mom and dad. He's not going to somebody, some counselor, some teacher to say, can I get some help? Would you give me some guidance with, this reg- with regard to my desire to satisfy what I can see and touch and taste? He's already made up his mind what he's going to do. He's not going to seek the counsel of anyone. He doesn't even check the record of the history of others. As a matter of fact, if this man had just been honest enough to check the history of his own father, it would have saved him a lifetime of grief. For his own daddy, his own father was named David, who had fallen into the trap of, of seeking to scratch the itch of sensual desire in an ungodly way, and live the rest of his life in grief because of it. And he doesn't look up to God in prayer to say, God, would you give me some guidance concerning this? He's musing and he's fantasizing and he sees this dream unfold before him and he invites himself to test the senses and the pleasures and he says what that waitress says to us when she brings us our meal that we've just ordered. He says to himself, Enjoy. And the amazing thing about verse 1 is that he tells us right up front what's going to happen before it happens and he says in all honesty, and behold it too was futility. Before it happens, he tells us the outcome. There's a German theologian by the name of Leupold that has a set of commentaries and in this One of his commentaries, in the commentary on Ecclesiastes, he talks about this style of quality that is employed by the ancient Hebrew writer in which, in honesty, he tells how something's going to come out before it happens. That it never happened. The writers of pornography would never never do that. Wouldn't it be amazing if tomorrow night you went into 7-Eleven and got one of those books up there, you know, where the cover's covered, You you know what I'm talking about. You got one of those books and you started opening it up, but on the very front page there was this statement. As far as the sex drive is concerned, there are certain things that need to be said before you read further in this book. And in that page there was this description of all that might happen if a person gives in to the sexual desires, to the sex drive in a God-forbidden way. Wouldn't it be amazing if you saw that? It'll never happen. It'll never happen. You'll never read the warning before what's going to happen before it happens. You'll never read the warning that things may turn out like this. In the 1950s, a man by the name of Sorokin, a sociology professor at Harvard University, wrote a book entitled The American Sex Revolution. He said this, the sex drive is now declared to be the most vital mainspring of human behavior. In the name of science, its fullest satisfaction is urged as a necessary condition of man's health and happiness. Sex inhibitions are viewed as the main source of frustration, mental and physical illness, even criminality. Sexual chastity is reduced as a prudish superstition. Nuptial loyalty is stigmatized as an antiquated hypocrisy. Sexual prowess is proudly glamorized so that the traditional child of God created in God's image is turned into a sexual apparatus powered by sex instincts, preoccupied with sex matters, hoping for and thinking mainly of sexual relations, our civilization, he says in conclusion, has become so preoccupied with sex, it now oozes from all the pores of American life. I ask you tonight, young people, hear me, will you hear the truth of God or the lies of our time? This man in this text trafficked in the world and in the realm of sensual pleasure. He trafficked in the realm that Sorokin talks about in the 50s. And if you would listen to him, he would save you years of torment. For nobody is going to tell you right up front what will happen if a person gives in to premarital, extramarital, God-forbidden sexual drive. And he says in verse 2, I'll try laughter. I'll try laughter. And so he brought in these people. There were these traveling groups of comedians and they would come in and they were paid you know, to make people laugh. And they performed these little sitcoms like you see on television. And there were moments of side-splitting laughter. They were paid to make you laugh. I'll try laughter. I wonder what the Rodney Dangerfields and the Johnny Carsons and the David Lettermans and the Paul Newharts and the Bob Hopes. I wonder how many of them go to bed laughing. And I, I picked up the Dallas Morning News recently and I read this little little glip there about Eddie Murphy. He's the hottest comedian now going, black comedian, star of several uh, movies that are hot on, the, on you know popular. Eddie Murphy says, quote, you're, you're expecting this. You, you, can, you can let this go in one ear or out the other, but I'm quoting him. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how many cars you drive or how nice your house I'm quoting him. He said, it doesn't even matter how many people you make laugh. That does not bring happiness. I'll try laughter. I'll surround my, myself with people that can make me laugh. I'll try that. He said in verse 3, I'll try the liquid spirits. I'm not having any fun giving in to sexual pleasure. It hadn't brought what I've looked for. I'm not able to go to bed laughing every night. I'll try the liquid spirits. Now I want you to know that this guy is not some drunken derelict that kind of staggers off the street into some rescue mission, some unshaven, disheveled looking guy with a dirty old ragged coat clutching under that coat some brown uh, bag containing a bottle of cheap wine. It's not him at all. This guy is the richest man. He has at his disposal the finest liquor, the finest wines. That's what he's talking about. He says in verse 3, look at it. I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body. He said, I'm going to find the finest wine, and I'm going to get the biggest kick I can out of it. He's not saying, I'm going to go out and get drunk. He's saying, I'm a connoisseur of wine and liquor. I'm going to find the very best I can, see if I can find happiness in it. Um, I was flying back from uh, Odessa, from Midland Odessa Airport the other night. It was late at night. I'd been out to the funeral of a young lady about 30 years old, a youth minister and my youth, youth, youth director in our church died in a tragic automobile accident. And there were about 30 people Get on my flight, American Airlines 727. So, the first few of us, they let sit in the, in, in uh, first class section. Only time I've ever flown in first class section, I think. I was sitting there with this guy, you know, and there's one of these plane conversations. It really happened. I introduced myself, and, and 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 he said he he was from Houston, Texas, and, and he was going down to Houston. I said, you have been out here on business? He said, not really. He said, I've been down to Fort Davis. Fort Davis is down toward the Big Bend. He said, I had to fly in the middle. And he said, I get a car and I go down to Fort Davis. He said, I'm looking for some land to buy. He said, I'm, on a, I'm looking for some land on which to grow grapes, a vineyard. He said, my hobby is raising grapes and making my own wine. He said, I'm a connoisseur of wine. And, and we talked a little bit. He said that... Um, he said he had, a, he had a regular job, but he said every spare minute he's had for the last two years, he said, I've been out in West Texas. And he told me all these places, Fort Stockton and everywhere where they're, they're growing all this wonderful, these wonderful grape vineyards for wine, Texas wine. He, he, he described all of it. I took his word for it. He said, I guess you're out here on business, aren't you? I said, no, really, as a matter of fact, I'm not. He said, what are you doing? He said, I, well, I said, I've been on a I've been out to Seminole, Texas. A dear friend of ours lost their daughter in a tragic automobile accident. Everything got serious. That's what he said. True story. He said, I lost my family not long ago. I said, you did. He said, yeah, my wife um, left me, took our children, went back east. I said, well, I'm sorry. That's a terrible thing to do that happened. He said, yeah, I guess that that they just couldn't take me being gone all the time in my work. He said, I travel. And he said, all the time that I've had to spend with my family. I've been out here looking for this land. And he said, I got home one weekend. My wife was packed up and she left. And I thought, isn't it a tragedy? Here is a man who is a connoisseur of wine and a failure as a father and a husband. I'm going to test the spirits, he said. I'm going to see if I can find out how to make my body feel good. I'm so ha- unhappy. Didn't work. So he said in verse 4, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to go to work. He said, I'm gonna, I enlarge my, I want you to just look at that with me. I enlarged my work. I, I expanded. I want you to just underline, if you've got a pencil or a or a pen, I want you to circle or underline the words I and my. He said, I enlarged my work. I built houses. He's an architect. He's he's in construction. He not only built a house for himself, he said, I built houses for myself. Plural. And he got involved in horticulture. He said, I planted vineyards for myself. I'm enlarged, I'm stretching out, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to increase my possessions. He said, I made gardens and parks for myself and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. And he's an engineer. He begins to make this irrigation system. He said, I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. He's made a forest out there. He's got it going. He's got it going. He said, I bought male and female slaves and I had home bar slaves. I had people working at, at my disposal. And he said, I, I, I got into I got into uh, you know, the cattle business. He said, I had herds and flocks greater than anybody in all Jerusalem. I had more cattle than anybody had ever had. And he said, I I, I got he got into the to the to the precious metal business. He said, I collected, collected for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. And I provided for myself male and female singers. He said, I got my own band, you know. As a matter of fact, Solomon, this king, was the composer of a thousand songs. And so he wrote these melodies. He was a brilliant man. He wrote these melodies, these songs, and he hired his own dance band, his own own singers to sing them for him. And he says in verse eight, "I chose the pleasures of men." If you want to look, sometimes you turn to First Kings chapter eleven, verse three. He had seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines. He had a thousand women at his disposal, so that these women—a thousand of them, the most beautiful women in the empire—were available to him any time, day or night, for whatever he desired. And the result was boredom, believe it or not. Now listen to these talk shows while I'm traveling. And I was listening to a talk show the other day, and the question of the day was, what, what were your lines to, 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 to get intimacy, to, to get an intimate relationship going with a woman? What, you, what was your first line? I mean, these characters call in, there's all kinds of stuff. And this guy called in and he said, you know, I had all kinds of lines to get girls. He said, to get girls in the back seat and to get women in bed. He said, I used all kinds of excuses. Then he said this. He said, now I use the excuse not to have sex. He said, there was nothing in it for me. Nothing in it for me. Boredom. I've tried it all, he said. Boredom. E. Stanley Jones, the great missionary to India, has this marvelous little takeoff of this man who has this fantasy. And every time he has a fantasy it comes true like the TV show you used to see. And so he's dreaming and he dreams of this beautiful house and poof, there it is. Fifteen rooms, three stories. And he's lying on his back and he fantasizes these beautiful automobiles and they're in the driveway before he even has time to open his eyes. And he dreams of travel and there he is in all of Europe and he's having a great time and he comes home and he goes into the banquet room and he he dreams, he fantasizes this beautiful meal and there it is on the table and he eats it alone. And he says to himself, I wish I could get out of here, out of this life, for it would be better to live in hell than to live here. And a voice comes and asks, where do you think you are now why is this all so futile why is this all so futile to this man I I want you to follow it with me I just want you to look my mind my body my mind verse 3 verse 4 my works myself myself verse 5 for myself verse 6 for myself Verse 7, I, 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 just over and over and over, here is a man living only for himself to gratify himself, to satisfy his itch. And the end is boredom and emptiness. Well, all verses 9 and 10 talk about this momentary feeling that feels good for a while. The reward there is a a certain contribution that sexual pleasure makes to life there is a certain uh, something that you get out of experimentation with drugs and booze and the pursuit and the accumulation of money and and, and possessions of course there is no preacher is going to get up here and lie to you and say that there's no momentary pleasure or fun in that but you've got to eventually come to verse 11. And the words of verse 11 should be written with magic marker across every slick magazine on the newsstand. And the words of verse 11 ought to be put on as a warning on every pill bottle, every drug bottle. And the words of verse 11 ought to swing on a sign before every tavern in Durant look at them and behold all was vanity and striving after the wind and there was no prophet under the sun now there are two or three things I want to say in conclusion for practical help they have to do with sensual pleasure I hope that you'll get these please number one Sensual pleasures hold out promise, but they lack staying power. Sensual pleasure holds out promise, but it lacks staying power. There's a promise in a premarital or extramarital affair, it doesn't last. There's a promise, you know, there's a certain freedom in, in that trip to unreality that drugs bring. But it doesn't last. As a matter of fact, the space between one and the need for another is, diminishes, erodes until they get closer and closer. It doesn't last. And there is a certain promise that is in booze, But it doesn't, the buzz soon wears away. The problems return. It holds out promise, has no lasting power. Secondly, sensual pleasure offers to open our eyes. You want to live? You've got to try this. You prude? I mean, anybody who is anybody has tried this. I was listening to. uh, Jerry Johnson the other day on tape, he's talking about the greatest pressure now to, to have sex among teenagers is their peer pressure. And over and over again, Jerry Johnson says, young people come to him and say, I don't want to do that, but I want, I, I, th- there is tremendous pressure to do it. And I'd look like a prude, uh, I'd be a nobody, I'd be unpopular if I didn't. And so these... Pleasures offer to open our eyes, man. You you're not very cosmopolitan if you've never tried. You know, if you never tasted booze, you're not very cosmopolitan if you've never taste, taken a you know a little uh, amphetamine, some quaalude or something. You're not very cosmopolitan if you haven't uh, if you haven't scored. You need to open your, that's going to open your eyes to what is out there in life. It offers to open our eyes, but they blind us, they blind us to things that are important. You want to, you don't want to believe that, you just listen to Josh McDowell a little while. Third, sexual pleasures make us cover up our displeasures. They're too painful, so we cover them up and we pretend we put on these little smiles, you know, and we put on this mask and we play like everything is just great. And we're the most miserable people in all the world. Let me tell you something. It's the truth. The most unhappy people in the world. This man is unhappy. The most miserable people in the world are the people who are seeking happiness under the sun, people who are seeking happiness outside of God. And we mask that. And we pretend, but the pain is still there. It's just covered up. E.P. Robinson, in his little ditty, The Child of Night, listen to what he said. When Richard Corey went downtown, he was always quaintly arrayed. And he, always, and he was always human when he talked. But still, he fluttered pulses when he said, Good morning, and he glittered when he walked. He was rich, rich as a king, and admirably schooled in every grace. Inside, we thought he was everything to make us wish we were in his place. So on he worked, so on we worked, and waited for the light, and went without the meat, and cursed the bread and Richard Corley one calm summer night went home and put a bullet in his head. You can cover it up just so long. Let me tell you something. I believe it deeply and firmly that all the beautiful people that you and I envy and quietly wish we were when all hell breaks loose, think about putting a bullet in their head, every single one of them. When there is no hope and there is no happiness under the sun and when the pleasure wears out, every single one of them entertain this thought that Richard Corey did. For when you draw the bottom line, vanity of vanities, it's striving after the wind, and there is no profit under the sun. The profit, the benefit, the reward is above Let's pray together. Our Father, the farther we go into this study, the more we are aware of how futile life is apart from God. And the relevancy of this book is just like it was when it was written to us. And there are some of us tonight who know from experience what he's talking about when he says, Vanity of vanities, it's all striving after the wind. There is no profit under the sun. Lord, help us not to listen to the lies of our culture, our society, but to listen to the truth of God that man's way and man's hope, the fulfillment of life is found in Him. For I pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Now listen to me, look. I ask you tonight to consider an invitation. The most important decision that anyone ever makes in life is the decision to give give himself to Jesus Christ or herself to Christ to be saved and anywhere you go anytime whatever you wherever you are you're going to see people who are searching for answers and the primary the fundamental answer is how do I get Jesus Christ question is how do I get Jesus Christ in my life the answer is by trusting by faith I'm gonna ask you tonight if you've never been saved come place your faith in Jesus for salvation I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat in a moment and come and join this church place your life here as many did today to say we want to serve God with you we want to leave we want to go on and, and move on i want to ask you to get up out of your seat in a moment for those of you who are seeking what can only be found in God come back to Him rededicate yourself to Him Find that He's the only one, He's the only one who can bring fulfillment, satisfaction, joy. If you're involved in those things that are just perfectly normal to desire, but you just reject them, repent of them, turn from them, and come and give your life to the Lord. Live a holy life, live a clean life, a pure life, a godly life, a life of witness. Life that's meaningful has a purpose that will last, come to that kind of life. I want to pray that you will while we stand to sing.